Uh, Ethiopia is going through a very devastating war in, in, in Tigray. Our moderator today is Muridi Mutiga, who is the project director for the Horn of Africa at the International Crisis Group. Thank you. And Karibu Muridi. So thank you once again for joining us uh, in this forum in partnership with Henry Ball Foundation and the Elephant here in Nairobi. Today's forum will be looking at Ethiopian elections and what it means for democracy in Ethiopia. Karibu Muridi. My name is Pauline Otieno and I am the forum and education manager here at the Institute. The Rift Valley Forum is a program of the Rift Valley Institute and is a neutral platform that is dedicated to critical exploration, discussion, and debate on important political, economic, and social issues within the Horn and Eastern Africa. So uh, without further ado, Muridi, I'll hand over to you. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Pauline, and welcome, everyone. And Tzedali um, Lema, um, Adem Abebe, and my friend Abdeta Beyene, um, the focus primarily will be on the politics of the election. I'll, I'll just turn first to Adam. How did we arrive at this moment in the state it is in currently? Perhaps I think it's, it's useful to, to start with the, uh, with the note that uh, Ethiopia has uh, formally been a multi-party democracy since uh, 1995. Um, but unfortunately, the elections, uh, about five or six of them, were held under circumstances that either were not completely not free and fair before the elections already, or in the case of 2005, we had a relatively free and fair election, competitive election, but unfortunately the outcome of the elections uh, led to more uh, oppressive uh, gov gov government tactics. So essentially, we're talking about a country with a history of unfair, unfree, and not credible elections. Um, and, and if you, I think a, a good reflection of that is what happened in 2015, the last national elections uh, in the country. At that time, the ruling um, Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, uh, which is now, which has now been replaced by the ruling Prosperity Party, won 100% of the seats at the federal level, but also at the state level. So, so you can, it, this gives you an idea of where we, where, where we started. Um, but protests essentially started right after that the, the elections were obviously necessary. It's uh, at least they are a constitutional requirement, but they were not the uh, panacea to our political process. And I think the fact that protests is, is started right after the elections, um, first in Oromia and then subsequently in, in, in Amhara and other parts of the country, uh, shows that they were critical, but they were, they were, they were, they were certainly uh, not, not sufficient. So Abiy Ahmed came on the back of these popular protests in April 2018. Um, and, and, and he came through a process of reshuffle, essentially. It was a popular induced, uh, it was a protest induced reshuffle, but it was reshuffled nevertheless. And, but that came with, a, with an expectation um, that the reshuffle would actually lead to a transition uh, to democracy and also to, to, to a stable um, uh, to, 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 to stability. Um, and, and essentially, I think if you look, look back into the period uh, where uh, after Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed came to power, uh, there was a lot of talk of reforms. And one of the end goals of the, the, the transition was expected to be credible elections. Um, but because in Ethiopia, we have a parliamentary system, because the parliament elects the, uh, the, the uh, executive, there was, there was no need for elections right after 
Abiy Ahmed came to power. Uh, he could get the blessing of the parliament and, and the legitimacy, so-called legitimacy could, could, could be maintained um, at, at the time. Now, um, there was a lot of hope, obviously. Uh, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed was still, um, he, was, he became popular. I think he had a, quite a cross-cutting message. Um, but but, but the, there was also a sense that um, if elections come, they will be more competitive, more fair and more free than we know them, uh, that, that, than we have known them uh, in, in, in the past. Um, but a series of measures were, were taken in the meantime, um, and elections were originally planned to be held uh, at the, at, in the summer of 2020. Normally, they are held, they are held in May, um, but when the elections were finally announced in early 2000 and, uh, 2020, because of time constraints, the Ethiopian Electoral Board said they will be held in, in August, uh, 2020, which is uh, which is essentially at the end of uh, the European summer. Um, now, at, at that particular time, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed was still seen as vulnerable, and he is he had just formed Prosperity Party, which was also seen as vulnerable, um, and there was all still over, overall hope that the elections would be more competitive and more more credible. Um, there, but there was already signs of tension, signs of problems between the ruling party and, and, and the opposition. Uh, there were already fractures uh, occurring. Now, within this context, the corona crisis emerged. And um, as I said, the electoral board had already pushed the elections from what is normally held in May to August because of uh, a technical challenge, because of preparatory problems. Um, and now with Corona, it was it became it became impossible. So it had to be postponed. So that was a reality. Now, how was going to that be? How was the postponement going to happen? What would be the conditions of the postponement? Um, this this became extremely controversial. And as I said, fractures and tensions were already rising, and with Corona emerging, uh, it became extremely extremely problematic. Um, and and once a decision uh, was taken, I won't go to the details to postpone the elections. Um, the level of trust had already suffered uh, a lot. Uh, and, and other incidents that happened after that um, made things uh, a lot, a lot worse. Now, uh, the, the, in particular, the uh, TPLF, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, was a key member of the, the former ruling coalition, but it refused to join the, the new ruling party. That's one. And secondly, the formation of the new ruling party also created divisions uh, particularly within the former ruling party of Oromia. Um, and there was already a, quite a strong opposition in Oromia and with the divisions within the ruling party, uh, it created new lines of, uh, new lines of contestation uh, in, in the region. Um, but to the first one, that with the TPLF, um, I would not say that had the elections been held in August 2020 without Corona, that the war we see now would not have happened. I wouldn't say that. Um, but I can say that the postponement of the elections uh, was a key factor in the, uh, uh, the, 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 the challenge and competition between the TPLF and Abiy Ahmed and his government that ultimately uh, led, led to the war. Now, I think this, this provides a background, and I understand that I will speak about the current context more, uh, but I would say this. I think one of the key points was, was that at the time of the transition, there was a sense that uh, the elections uh, would be uh, the, the most critical moment of, of the transition process. Um, and I think there was, there was tremendous expectation on the elections. 
Um, and I, 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 obviously elections are critical, uh, but I want to say, and, and we'll, we'll, have this we'll have more discussions as we go, um, but they were only part of the critical elements for a successful transition. Um, and, and the fact that the elections have become extremely problematic now, as we know it, uh, because about uh, essentially about 25% of the, the constituencies will not be voting uh, next week. Um, but as bad as they are, uh, and, and, and it's, a, it's a tremendous failure in that, in that regard, but if you consider the elections as only one element of a, of a transition process, it could mean, uh, and I, remain, I want to remain optimistic, it could mean that uh, bad elections does not necessarily or should not necessarily mean a complete abortion of the transition that, that the country needs. Uh, so I hope that we draw lessons from, uh, from this and actually correct um, our movements, our trucks, uh, to make sure that post-election uh, we get back to uh, our homeworks. I'll stop there. Thank you very much. Yeah, maybe Adam, thanks very much. If I may, just very quickly, you know, you talk about the lessons learned. Uh, you know, you've been giving us, you know, the, the background in a very neat fashion. Um, but what are these lessons? What could have been done differently, potentially, you know, in a transition that gives so many, so much hope? Of course, you've written about the political culture in Ethiopia of enduring mistrust, of labeling, of absolute dominance, of even elimination. Um, is there a way this could have been managed in a more consensual fashion by the various actors so that we don't arrive at this point, you know, in, in such a grim environment? Um, well, I mean, counterfactuals are always very, very tricky. Um, but what I can say this first is that um, there was no, the, Ethiopia does not have a tradition of resolving very sensitive, very contested political issues uh, through negotiation and through dialogue. We have had several opportunities, uh, but unfortunately they were all wasted. Uh, so what that meant is, is that when 2018 happened, uh, it was essentially, uh, we had to start from scratch, right? We had to start from scratch. Um, but Abi Ahmed was new, so he needed to build his, his con constituency, he needed to build his confidence. Um, so he was open. Um, and, and, and a lot of people actually bought into his, his ideas of, 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 of synergy, Maddamer, um, and of, of creating the conditions for, for credible, a credible democratic transition, including credible, credible elections. Um, now, if, if anything could have been uh, done different, I think is, is that there, there, was, there was a chance both for the ruling party and the opposition. I think it's critical, obviously, the more power one has, the more responsibility they have. So to, to that extent, the government, the ruling party uh, should take the lion's share of the responsibility. But at the same time, I think if there was a sense uh, among our political elites, the ruling party and the opposition, where they consider that transitions are always vulnerable to relapse, that transitions uh, are, 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 are not a process that can be finished in three years. Uh, basically, if they had a longer horizon uh, and focused on accepting progress, uh, however minimal it can be, while also keeping the momentum and the pressure for further, further progress and further reforms would have, would have been better. Essentially, um, sitting together, continuing the conversation, ideally before elections to make sure that there is a level, credible electoral process at, at, at the end of the first stage of the transition, if I might call it. Um, but unfortunately, what we did is say was, was, was relapse into that tradition of 
mistrust, as, as, as I call it. Um, and, and with mistrust uh, comes that, that culture of dominance and, and elimination. So, so ideally, I think I would have told that they would have accepted progress as a, a process rather than as, as a destination um, and, and, and accepted failures um, even as we as we demand more 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 progress, I, I think that would have been uh, better. But in the end, as I, as I try to end on a positive note, um, we should consider the elections as only one part of that process, um, and draw why these elections are contested, why they are problematic, and hope that whatever uh, lessons we can draw from this process, from where how we have ended up, we can we can then uh, pursue them after the elections as well. Uh, thanks, Adem. So maybe just turning to Tzedale, and obviously, as Adem has laid out, very difficult context. Um, but you know, the background, unfortunately, is is even um, is is much, much, much less grim than the present. Um, you know, an election unfolding in the shadow of a war um, and also of opposition boycotts. Um, so if you could just expand on that context and what your reflections are. On, on the present environment in which the election will take place. Uh, sorry, you're on mute. Uh, yeah, um, thank you so much. I always forget to unmute myself. <laughs> so thanks for having me. And I, I, I like to try to um, highlight on two very inter interactable and yet uh, very defining uh, features of this election vis-a-vis um, -vis what uh, Dr. Adam has uh, laid out earlier. Uh, for me, the very reason that this election is happening in the context of a war, an, an ongoing civil war, uh, makes me question whether the election is not contributing uh, into further uh, driving us away from finding a political solution to the very war that, that is ravaging the Tigray regional state as we speak. Uh, I like to look at it from these two points of view contemporaneously, uh, which are very, very um, pro problematic when it comes to election and, and the, and, and the post-election reconstituting effort by whoever is going to win this election to form a government in Ethiopia. So the two, outstanding, and I am not saying the others are, not, are, are less uh, uh, important, but the two outstanding challenges that this election is rather exacerbating instead of uh, solving the problem are Oromia regional state and the Tigray regional state. And this, in my view, are the two things that the election is trying to avoid, but as much as it is trying to avoid it, it would have to meet somehow and when 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 you when when this election tries to answer the problems both in Oromia and in Tigray regional state, which are interlinked to a political violence, you would find holding this election is going to be much more damaging to solving the problem that have besieged both regional states as a key uh, landmark landmark of the political turn of events in Ethiopia. What do I mean by that? We are holding an election in the complete absence of the Tigray regional state and hence the Tigray people, the people of Tigray. Uh, and we, you know, we hold an election and in the post election, what you would expect is the reconstituent of the state. 
the Ethiopian state uh, under a new political uh, program, who, whoever is going to win. Currently, there are two uh, uh, parties that are highly contesting for this election. One is the incumbent prosperity party. The other one is the Izema, the second um, runner up to this election, if I, if I may so. So both of them are participating in this election and both of them do not seem to be having any program to reintegrate the people of Tigray into the political process so that the violence that has been rocking Tigray for the last seven months could eventually get a political settlement. There is no program to my understanding from both parties and the other parties running in this election as well. On, 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 there is no publicly available program as such on how the people of Tigray are going to be represented in the parliament when this election is done and when the state is being reconstituted. So this problem that, that the, the, the federal government is trying to avoid by not having the Tigrayan uh, population participate in this election, hence by not ending the political violence, it is, it's further taking away any possibilities of a political settlement that the people of Tigray should have with the federal government with or without the presence of the TPLF. This is one aspect that I do not see in any political programs that, 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 that are ongoing from any of the political parties. No one has any discernible program on how the people of Tigray are going to be you know, integrated and how we can imagine the Ethiopian state that would be reconstituted after this election, incorporating the people of Tigray into its program. This is one problem. And and there is nothing so far because this requires ending the war first and foremost and holding an election for this is not a regional election because the people in Tigray has held their regional election in September, but this is an election for the federal parliament. So we are constituting a federal parliament without the presence of the Tigrayan people, and there is no discernible program. There is no overview of when this is going to happen because there is no interest in ending this political violence and in ending the war. What can happen? It's anybody's question. The politicians are not answering this. The second that I would like to raise here contemporaneously is what is happening in Oromia Regional State. Oromia Regional State being the largest federation out of the 10 federal states that, that, that make up the Ethiopian state today has 178 seats in the national parliament. And this is the largest um, uh, seat representation because of the population size in the regional state. This is also a regional state that we see a widespread voters' apathy and disenfranchisement because the two political parties, major political parties that were representing the Oromo people in the federal structure, in the federal parliament, they were hoping to run for that, have withdrawn or forced to withdraw from the election due to circumstances of mainly precipitating crackdown, state crackdown against this political parties that began exactly a year ago with the yet unsolved assassination of popular Oromo artist Hajaru Kundesa. So what has happened after that is the crackdown, the massive crackdown that saw the leadership of these political parties jailed. Uh, not only the leadership for that matter, it's more than 10,000 people, this is verified by the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission as well, uh, have been jailed and majority of them, the parties have been complaining that they were their uh, officials 
from lower level all the way to the upper. So these two parties have withdrawn from the election eventually. They're not participating. Romea regional state in and of itself is a diverse political landscape there, which means the ruling party, the ruling prosperity party would not be the single party that could represent millions of people, which, you know, uh, coming from a regional state, which has its own intra-ethnic dynamics. I think Dr. Adam has been passionately advocating for, uh, for, 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 for the intra-ethnic elite bargain within the Oromia regional state. So the withdrawal of these two parties is not just uh, for the parties. You know, the, 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 the disadvantage of the withdrawal of these two parties is not only for the parties themselves, but also it is playing a role in further fracturing the political landscape in Oromia regional state. What does that mean? It means the ruling party, the ruling prosperity party, or as they call themselves, the Oromia prosperity party is the main party. I think the Izema has some uh, programs to run in the regional state, but it is the ruling party is poised in amassing 178 seats in the parliament in this election, which has largely disenfranchised the Oromo people from participating. This in a, in a regional state where there is an active rebel movement currently happening, uh, particularly in the Southern Oromia and in the Western Oromia. I think it's even getting closer to the capital now with the Oromo Liberation Army still involved in active resistance against the state. So this will further fracture the political landscape in Oromia regional state and make the, the, the ruling party, which is winning the regional state, becomes struggling to govern this large regional state with a large landmass of people, the, the number of people of population. So these two dynamics are going to make this post-election effort in reconstituting the Ethiopian state incomplete and also further uh, uh, polarizing any possibilities of a peaceful political settlement. So the election is happening in this um, uh, environment, and that is what, what, what keeps me worried about it. I, I'm finishing here. Yeah, no, thanks very much, Sedale. Just a very quick point of clarification. When you say reconstituting the Ethiopian state, um, just because people on the call might not be familiar enough with the context, what do you mean by that? Do you mean forming a government or do you mean uh, rethinking some of the constitutional structures, especially those that came into place in the mid 90s? Uh, well, you know, I, I wouldn't say for sure about changing the constitution, but this has been floated for the last uh, three years. You know, the political forces that came into play after uh, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed was propelled into power and he opened up the political space. We have political parties that are participating in the election today who have made no secret of them wanting to change the constitution. Uh, mostly the most contentious one is Article 39, which allows the nations and nationalities of the Ethiopian uh, people for self-determination up to cessation. So there is a keenness among the political actors today who are participating in the election in embarking into uh, changing some form of the constitution. This is one. The other is, yes, we will be reconstituting a state. The election takes place. The, the, the electoral board has said uh, some of the, the constituencies that 
are not participating in this election largely because of security issues, but also legal issues. For example, in Harari regional state is completely not participating in that, in the Somali regional state because of logistics and voter registration problems, not participating in the election. Tigray regional state because of the civil war, not participating. But some of them will have an alternative election date, September. I think September the 10th, if I am not mistaken here. But in September, they will have another election taking place. So save that, how many of them will participate in that? And we will have to wait and see for that. So what naturally happens after that is since the parliament's time in office has already expired, the parliament is on borrowed time. What would come as a new parliament into the, into, in, into the, into the picture, into the political picture? That would mean that we are reconstituting the state. The parliament, what shape it will have, who's going to win, is going to be determined by the election. So the, there is not continuation of the state as we know it today. The prosperity party may be the, the, the majority winner, you know, the, the winner in that, but it's not going to be the only party that will define the shape and nature of the state. So we are embarking in the post-election process this whole process is, after all, to form the state and to form a legitimate uh, government in place. So that's happening in the absence of, in the complete absence of Tigray United State, because there's no overview of when election for the national parliament is going to take place. And in the in the in the event that the Oromia United State has been absolutely disenfranchised and the ruling party, and a little bit from the Izema party. So we are forming a government under these circumstances. So is this an election that will produce a legitimate government? I do not think so. I don't think anybody who's looking at the tape in politics today would say this election is going to bring legitimacy or stability to the country. For me, I think this is an experiment. Probably experts like Dr. Adam will have to start looking at uh, political, you know, political explanation or analysis into a different way, a new variant of state capture, let me put it, a new variant of state capture is happening by exclusionary form and by a, a large amount of voters disenfranchisement. So how we can explain this one has to be left for political scientists as we go by. But this is a new form of state capture, a new variant of state capture by other means, in my understanding. Yeah, th thanks very much, Sedale. So um, turning to you, Abdetta, you know, with probably the most difficult uh, subject of the day, you know, just if you could look through the crystal ball, obviously a very difficult environment, an ancient state, um, you know, facing very difficult um, uh, challenges, you know, that, that, that probably haven't been seen for a few decades. Uh, what comes next? What chance is there that the election might set the ground perhaps for a more conciliatory approach by the various actors, a more accommodating consensual one, um, or what chance is there that this might also lead to, you know, greater crisis and a deepening of the challenges? And also, what chance is there that maybe the election might offer the authorities, the, 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 the political space to pursue a settlement uh, for some of the violent conflicts uh, being seen in, in parts of the country? Thank you, Muriti. Uh, as you said, uh, uh, this is the most difficult part probably to look at what would happen uh, post-election. But 
I would like to highlight two, three points uh, from before going into the details. One, uh, in Ethiopia, state building uh, has always been contested and it remains contested. And hence, Ethiopians have, ha have not agreed on what kind of state they want to have. Elite bargain has never happened in, in Ethiopia. Winners uh, impose themselves, um, but the current change uh, has yet to fully impose itself on the people of Ethiopia. Uh, because of that, I think the government is uh, dealing with developments in Ethiopia selectively um, to, uh, to, to have its, its supremacy in, uh, in, in shaping the narrative in, in, in Ethiopia. I think election in Ethiopia has to be seen within this context. Uh, if we redefine it, uh, the government has to deal with its legitimacy, issues of legitimacy. Uh, Adam earlier ha has highlighted how, uh, how we reached here. Um, and partly uh, the Ethiopian government has, been, has done its homework in terms of extending its term uh, indefinitely. Uh, uh, we, should, we, should, we should not forget that. According to the law, uh, the Ethiopian government can, can hold the elections anytime. Of course, uh, the condition in which uh, elections were postponed was related to COVID. Uh, COVID situation is probably worse than what it was. And hence, but the government has decided to hold, to hold the election. But there is no challenge in terms of uh, the legitimacy of the existing government, because legally it has extended itself uh, through a process uh, uh, for an indefinite uh, period of time. Now, what would the post-election situation look like? I think uh, I can pinpoint a couple of scenarios uh, or, or of outcomes of, of the election. The first scenario that I, I, I think of is election is held with internal legitimacy, uh, people support the outcomes, the ruling party wins, uh, generally wins a majority, uh, and, and hence is accepted uh, uh, locally. This is, this is one possible scenario. I think the second scenario is um, election is held, the ruling party uh, wins uh, the majority, uh, but loses some uh, of the cities, uh, the 2005 uh, 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 scenario whereby EPRDF lost uh, the city of Addis Ababa and um, had to struggle to legitimize itself uh, internally. Of course, this means that uh, legitimacy will be challenged, there will be contestation, uh, probably leading towards protest, and that might even lead to uh, a bigger crisis. I think the third uh, scenario that one can envisage uh, is uh, possible contestation of the election by, by various armed groups uh, and challenging the conduct of uh, a peaceful election. Uh, nobody knows if, if there would be uh, a situation whereby the election would be, would be challenged even uh, to be held peacefully. I think the fourth scenario is the majority of the people would lack appetite to vote. Uh, and, and that also might uh, delegitimize the process. But I have to emphasize one thing here. As you know, uh, Ethiopia is, Ethiopia's 80% of the people are, are, uh, are farmers uh, and partly uh, pastoralists. 
and the leave of uh, a government land. Uh, I think one can easily guess the outcome of uh, a process uh, in which a structure of, of that state uh, is, uh, is seen in, in terms of the relations uh, with, with, with the population. I would like to emphasize that probably uh, uh, one of the scenarios might lead the government to engage in a national dialogue uh, uh, with one aspect uh, um, and the current changes in Ethiopia, which are uh, which remain contested uh, with state building as well uh, contested, could take up uh, national dialogue as a mechanism to uh, further address the challenges that might uh, em emerge. I think I, will, I, I would also like to say that post-election realities are not dependent only on the upcoming elections. As I said, um, uh, there are more difficult uh, contested issues in, in, in Ethiopia's uh, political uh, arena. Even if election is held and opposition accepts, uh, contesting the election outcome could be triggered by other issues uh, of Ethiopia's uh, contested state building, uh, lack of uh, consensus among the elites. Um, for example, the fact that the first scenario uh, could emerge easily in which the government wins and the opposition accepts, but those who question or mistrust the new leadership can use other factors uh, to trigger uh, 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 contestation. Uh, what happens to federalism? Uh, the, will the constitutional, with the mandate, with the new mandate, uh, trigger a constitutional reform that most elites uh, do not agree agree with, and hence they might push uh, the issue uh, to uh, to further crisis. A positive outcome, of course, uh, 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 of the elections could be supplemented by a broader uh, expression of intent. Uh, for national dialogue that the, the new government uh, might 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 pick up uh, in in this case, uh, creating hope uh, to the unemployed, the economic challenges, the price hikes, hikes that we uh, Ethiopia finds itself, uh, and a possible post-COVID economy which might not be growing as fast as uh, Ethiopia's uh, economy used to. Uh, I just want to highlight some of the challenges and opportunities uh, in this uh, possible national dialogue. Uh, as you uh, might know, in Ethiopia, opposition always used delegitimization as a strategy to contest the state power. Uh, for example, the, the withdrawal of the OLF and OFC uh, partly explains uh, this, uh, but some experts indicate that probably the timing might not be in their favor. They withdrew from the process uh, long ago, and hence uh, uh, humans have uh, short memories. I think the issue has, has, has gone under, under the bridge. If they had withdrawn, probably um, closer to the election day, the damage that they could have uh, created uh, would have been uh, tremendous. I think the second challenge is uh, the relationship between the state and other stakeholders in Ethiopia is so asymmetric. And hence, uh, the government has the time, the resources uh, to eventually 
force 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 itself uh, uh, through. Um, of course, this might affect uh, the possibility of establishing uh, national consensus. Um, the war in Tigray, for example, uh, could be a reflection of, of this, which is costing the country and Ethiopia's effort um, in general. Uh, as opportunities, I, I think one uh, could look at uh, the fact that the international community is calling on dialogue. Uh, uh, I think there is a, a growing trend that advocates national dialogue as the way to help Ethiopia to address uh, its challenges. But as you know, the government has uh, said that um, uh, uh, that election uh, would resolve uh, some of the fact that the international community is wedded into uh, national dialogue can also be uh, uh, a, a challenge. Uh, as you know, the current trend uh, in uh, in the Ethiopian uh, political arena, in which uh, anti-Western uh, resistance uh, to ideas coming from from uh, from the West uh, are are reflected. And let me conclude. Of course, there is no magic wand uh, to address Ethiopia's emerging and uh, existing uh, challenges as, as such. The upcoming election cannot be one as well. There are bigger regional and global challenges that are cascaded into Ethiopia's domestic woes. There is a need on the part of all Ethiopians to recognize this and come together to address the challenges the country faces. As a recent article on Ethiopia, on Ethiopian Insight indicated, the coming election is not going to make or break the, the chances of democratization in Ethiopia. Political actors are trying to play games to get advantage from the circumstances. Election is important, but it is not the only thing that Ethiopia needs to address uh, its current uh, challenges. Let me stop here. And I think in a question and answer session, we can address more uh, issues in the future. Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks very much, Abdeta. Very, very useful overview. Um, I'll just come back to you very quickly with a question very similar to what I asked at them. You both said that the Ethiopian political um, uh, terrain is, is contested. It's always been. There's no culture of political bargaining, uh, of political settlements uh, with rivals. Um, you know, but why is that? Can that, do you see that changing in the medium term? Um, you know, there's, there's a prominent Ethiopian scholar that said, Ethiopia is a land of missed opportunities. You know, 2005, potentially uh, 2018, yet again. Is, do you see any hope, even if, of course, not after this election, but down the line for a different kind of politics um, that, 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 you know, privileges more the art of accommodation? Well, uh, Muriti, you have, you, have, you have the answer in my earlier presentation. Uh, since Ethiopia's, Ethiopia state building is contested, and since there has never been uh, elite bargains uh, to shape Ethiopia's um, state building effort, uh, Ethiopia is living with the outcomes of those failures, those missed opportunities. As you said, probably the other missed opportunity is 1991, even uh, go, goes back to the 1970s, where um, changes ha happened. Uh, and 2005 is, is another one. Uh, we, had, uh, we had organized a meeting uh, of intellectuals in which um, uh, people debated uh, these missed opportunities and how we should uh, 
learn lessons. But I doubt uh, if, uh, if, if we do that. I think the elites also underestimate in Ethiopia uh, how um, uh, cultural, traditional leaders uh, influence politics. In a recent discussion that I had with uh, the Abagadas, the Oromo elders and, and traditional leaders, that uh, most of the political elites who have decided to stay away from, uh, from the elections have never consulted them. And they were asking me, what do they expect us to do uh, if they had withdrawn? They have denied the Oromos to, to, have, to have a choice. Uh, you see, they, uh, they, they say, why should the political elites determine the outcome of elections without even uh, participating? Uh, I, I, I understand the challenges, uh, but at the same time, uh, elites should, uh, should uh, look into uh, how they do politics in, in, in Ethiopia eventually. Uh, they cannot ignore traditional leaders who can mobilize youth uh, for peace and war uh, at the same time. Thank you.